Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast, and we've got a guest at the top of the show. We are joined by Brandon Bolin. He has been a contributor to NFLDraftBlitz.com, and he's a longtime Browns fan. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, my friend. How did you become a Browns fan? You know, usually people root, you know, for the Seahawks, the Patriots, the Steelers, any other team but the Browns. There are some diehard fans out there like yourself. So how did you become a Browns fan? Give us the inside story. All right. So my dad was actually born and raised in Cleveland. I don't think there's a bigger Browns fan on earth than my dad. And You know, when I was younger, he was able to brainwash me and convince me to, that this was the team to root for, even though they were winning about three, four games a year. But, um, you know, when I was young, I just I fell in love with watching them play. I remember I really was a big fan of Brandon Whedon for some reason. Uh, I was able to grow attachments to these players that really never turned out to be anything, you know, but just being able to build that relationship with my dad and have that to share with my dad really made me grow like a true passion for the Browns. How long has your dad been a fan of the Browns? What are we talking about, 50 years? 47 now, so I'd say about 47 years, his whole life. That man is the definition of loyalty. Well, that that's what I'm saying. Browns fans, they're different. You guys are very loyal to a team that hasn't done much in the past 30 years. I mean, you guys are like a different breed, as they say. So t- <laughs> tell us about last year, Brandon, because obviously all of the, the suffering that you guys have been through every year, but last year was different. I mean, you were following the team. They made the playoffs. They beat the Steelers in the wild card round. Sorry, Ed, but we have to talk <laughs> about it. So just tell us about it, just finally seeing your team accomplish some things in 2020. It it was the greatest year of my life. It truly was. After suffering for, you know, 18 years of just, you know, complete heartache and, you know, seeing my team go 0-16 and 1-15, the fact that we now just made the playoffs, you know, that that feels so much better than any other type of fan could, you know, experience. Uh, you know, Patriots fans, they were making the playoffs year in, year out. You know, they, making the playoffs is nothing to them. But just seeing our name in the bracket for the playoffs it was like a truly heartwarming moment because we've been rooting for them for so long. And we've had multiple years, like in 2019 even, we were supposed to be one of the better teams in the league, just didn't pan out. So for that to finally happen, it just shows that, you know, it, it's going to pay off to, you know, stick with them for the long run. And even, you know, beating the Steelers in the wild card round, you couldn't have written a story better than that. Beat your division rival, somebody that's been bullying you for the last, you know, 20 years, and to be able to take end their season in a wild card run, I mean, you can't write a story better than that. From your perspective, what has head coach Kevin Stefanski brought to this team? I think he's brought systematically he knows what he has and that's the difference between him and Kevin or excuse me him and Freddie Kitchens you know Freddie Kitchens took a look at all these this talent that we had on the team and said you know what I have I have Odell I have Nick Chubb I have a gunslinger in Baker Mayfield I'm going to try to break every record I can I have the most high-powered offense in the league and it just doesn't work that easily it's not that simple 
Well, Kevin Stefanski, he understands that you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You can capitalize so much off of the run game. So he completely transitioned from pass first team to run heavy, run heavy play action, you know, every, every few plays. But uh, he also, I really think he changed the mentality of the team. Um, I think he was able to convince these guys that, you know, you may be the most, some of the most talented guys in the world, but that doesn't mean you're going to win football games until you guys are an actual team and come together as a team and start to look at yourselves as a team. You're not going to win anything. Even seeing how the players are behind Kevin Stefanski compared to uh, Freddie Kitchens is just, it's night and day. Players are consistently vouching for Kevin Stefanski. They love what he brings as a person. And he just always has a get to it and work attitude. There's no excuses. Like, if you don't show up and work, you don't have a rock spot. He's just the definition of get your, get your work done and you will see the, you will see the rewards. Based on what I saw, Freddie Kitchens shouldn't even be allowed to coach Pee Wee football. <laughs> I, I agree with you. The dude's having Baker run seven-step drops or something like that with, you know, with a bottom-ranked offensive line in the league. And it's Freddie Kitchens thought he could do what he, anything he wanted based off of the roster that he had. Which Baker midfield are we going to see in 2021? This is, I mean, they're, they're talking about speeding up the offense for him now that he's, you know, been in the league a few years. I don't think there's any reason to think we're getting a different Baker Mayfield from the one we got in the back half of the season last year. Because we saw the two versions of Baker Mayfield that exist last season. The first half of the season, we saw the Baker we saw in 2019, who was just, who was pretty underwhelming. Didn't live up to the expectations. Wasn't the player that we really wanted. But, you know, after that Bengals game, he goes, throws 22 consecutive completions, game-winning drive, and from that point on, he really took off, and he started to see himself kind of get comfortable in the system, started to make educated chances, and um, you really saw him grow in the system. Just to have another year in that system to keep building that confidence, I did hear a few things that we're going to be adding some more uh, formations this season. So I, I really only think that Baker could go up from here. Uh, there's, there's no reason to see him go down. They're bringing in more talent. The system is only getting better. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, he knows what he has in Baker, so he's not going to ask him to do these things that he can't do like Freddie Kitchens was doing. Baker thrives on the play-action pass. That's exactly what we did all of last year. So if we continue to implement the play-action, I can see improved, like long strides from Baker, actually. When you look at Baker Mayfield, do you still see a game manager? Do you still see a guy that you need to have a strong running game around. Like, he can't win the game all by himself. Where do you stand on this? I'm somewhat in between. I think um, if it comes down to it, uh, I think Baker can lead a game-winning driver. So, say Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb somehow become injured, and I, I don't know if Baker's the guy that's going to, you know, single-handedly take over a game uh, without without having a strong running game behind him just because that play action is really where Baker thrives. I can't say he's fully that guy yet. Until I've seen it, we've seen flashes such as that Bengals game. You know, Odell went down, so this was like, oh, crap moment. We got we got to figure it out right now. And he goes on, goes 22 for 22, has a phenomenal game-winning drive. And, you know, from that point on, you kind of saw that he has he still has that ability to have the chip on his shoulder and, you know, lead a team to victory, but... Like I said, if that strong running game isn't behind him to, you know, give him that play action for the big play, I don't know if I can necessarily say yet that he's that guy that can 
completely take over a game and win for you. But I really think he can be that guy. Brandon, I just want to point out, it was against the Bengals. Yeah. We do know where the Bengals are right now. I mean, this isn't the late yeah, 1980s when they were in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. But we have to put this into perspective. It was against the Bengals. People are feeling more comfortable and more confident yeah. in terms of what he did in 2020. And, you know, and to that, I, I could even say, um, I don't know if you were able to catch the uh, last Ravens game of the season. The The Browns weren't able to pull that one out, you know, but there was about a minute 30 left in that game, and Baker was able to lead a touchdown on that drive, but, you know, he actually ended up scoring too fast. So I don't know if we can say he can't do it against a top-tier defense. His clock management could have been better in that situation, but I think he can if he has to drive against an elite defense to win a game. But obviously his clock management needs to take a step in the right direction. Where does Nick Chubb rank among Browns running backs all time? Even though we've only seen about three years of him, I could I could right now say he might be the third. Maybe, maybe I, I might make a lot of uh, older, older Browns fans upset with this one. I, he could be the second best running back in Browns history. Um, I don't want to give him that title just yet just because it is, you know, a very young career. But to this day, I really don't think Nick Chubb is getting enough credit because Brown's history, you got Jim Brown, who is arguably the greatest of all time. You know, you could even put Ernest Biner up there. Leroy Kelly is who I'd have at number two right now, and Nick Chubb right behind that. After this season, though, I really can confidently say that I think Nick Chubb will be the second best running back in Cleveland Brown's history. His ability to take over the game is, is something unlike I've ever been able to I've ever seen um his yards per carry is out of this world it's like 5.5 his efficiency in running the football is miles above derrick henry you know i would say derrick henry's the best back in football but his efficiency is out of this world and, and since 2018 uh i saw this mind-blowing stat that he averages over 12 yards a carry in the fourth quarter the last three years so this isn't just like a one-year fluke in a three-year span he's averaged over 12 yards a carry in the fourth I don't know if anybody in the history of the league has been close to that. I don't think there's a better closer in the NFL than Nick Chubb right now. And if you can have a guy run the football for three quarters and then come fourth quarter, he's still got a full head of steam running 12 yards every single carry, getting you over a first down every time. I just, that's historical. You're never going to find another player like that. I just, I don't know if I can now say he's going to pass Jim Brown, but I absolutely do think he will go down as the second best running back in Browns history. I think he's the most underappreciated NFL player, period. I, I can I can 100% agree. Because, I mean, I know a lot of people want to focus on Christian McCaffrey, and he's coming off an injury. Obviously, Derrick Henry the past couple of years and what he has done. But I think people don't mm -hmm. really – fans in this division, Ravens fans, Steelers fans, Bengals fans, they understand what Nick Chubb brings to the table, that he is the central piece to that offense and Kevin Stefanski's offense. But – I think he's the most underappreciated NFL player just in general. And he doesn't talk. He doesn't get any attention. He doesn't need it. That's probably the statement that I would I would go with. Baker Mayfield goes down. Who do you want running the show for a few games? Yeah, Honestly, uh, I think the Browns have actually set themselves up perfectly for this. Uh, Case Keenum is currently the backup, and he is actually one of the most expensive backups in the league right now. I believe he's on a $7 million contract. But the thing is, I actually, I really didn't like that 
when I was thinking about it last year, but now that I come to, I've really come to terms with that uh, feel. Uh, I don't think there's a better guy in the league, at least backup wise, that could take over for Baker. You know, Case Keenum is a guy that has been around Kevin Stefanski for a very long time. He was running that Viking system. He's a very, very good play-action quarterback. That's what he thrived on in Minnesota. That's what he thrived on in Denver when he did have his good games. You know, when he was with Dalvin Cook, it was hand the ball off, hand the ball off, and then play-action launch at 30, 40 yards downfield, and that was his game. And Case Keenum is actually somebody that has really helped Baker learn this system. So he's been a really important part in helping Baker get to that next level. So and we don't need him to, you know, go out there and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns to win a game. We we have the talent around him. So if he if he could be at most a game manager, I'm more than happy with that. I think Case Keenum is the perfect guy to roll with if Baker goes on. Brandon, what do you think of the Browns draft? Who was your favorite pick? Uh, what did you think of the draft overall? The draft went better than I could have imagined in a million years, actually. I was I was pretty upset that we didn't, at the time, I was upset we didn't get Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa with the first uh, first round pick. We ended up getting Greg Newsom, and I was pretty upset about that at first, but the more I thought about it, I think that is actually one of the most underrated picks of the first round. Um, Greg Newsom is, he's not a guy that's going to get you a lot of interceptions or anything like that, but um, in college, his yards per coverage snap allowed was only 0.44 yards of snap. So that was best or in the entire college football. Knowing that we're going to get a guy that is a lockdown corner to put on the other side of Ward is it's super exciting, um, especially because our secondary does, does have some injury problems. And the fact that the Browns are going to be running a 4-2-5, they are desperate to get uh, depth at the secondary position. And drafting Greg Newsom, you know, that pushed Greedy Williams back to cornerback number three or four. And the fact that we have four cornerbacks that could, you know, be potential starters in this league is really exciting. So that Greg Newsom pick has really grown on me. And then obviously the Owusu Koromoa pick, that was absolutely my favorite pick of the draft. That, that was my favorite player of the draft. Definitely my quote unquote draft crush. He just fits perfectly with the 4-2-5. His ability to line up as a, sa- uh, as a safety if we need that. He's just a Swiss Army knife of a defense. He's not. He doesn't have a true role to his position. And with the 4-2-5, there's very little influence on the linebacker position. So I really think having that hybrid between a linebacker and a safety would thrive in this type of system. So the Browns have a lot of talent, you know, now with Owosu Kormoa. You know, you, you got a linebacker who, you know, can show elite coverage. You've got pretty much three safeties who are very good. You've got, you know, four corners. You got Greedy Williams, who's not even a starter. If a team has depth at receiver or depth in their playmakers, I mean, are the Browns the best at keeping that in check from a personnel standpoint? I would say so. I can't think of another team that has that much depth at the secondary position. If Ward and Newsom go down, Greedy Williams and Troy Hill, who was number two corner for the Rams, number one pass defense in the league last year. So those are two guys that are absolutely capable of being starting corners. And then the safety position, you have Grant Elpitt, who is supposed to be was one of the best players coming out of the uh, defensive players coming out of the draft last year. So hopefully we get what we're expecting out of him. And I got Ronnie Harrison, who has only gotten better every single year since coming in the league. And the thing about the depth with the Browns is they're all above average players you know like there's nobody you look at that secondary and you're like oh that's that's a weak point we might need to look into replacing that or upgrading that 
there's not a position I'm not, you know, very content with in the secondary. And, you know, there's guys down to the third teamers that, you know, can be a solid starter. So I, I would agree that they, they are the best team in the league to stop a deep wide receiving core. What's your best memory of offensive tackle Joe Thomas? Iron Man Joe Thomas. You know, my eyes, one of the best Browns of all time, one of the best tackles of all time. But, you know, a memory that I've always stuck with me was in his 11th season when he passed 10,000 consecutive career snaps. I, I remember that game so well. Unfortunately, it was against the Ravens, you know, Deshaun Kaiser. He threw three picks. <laughs> it, it wasn't a pretty game. We, we lost big time. But seeing Joe Thomas get that achievement, you know, it was brushed over pretty fast because it was at the Ravens. I had that moment of realization where, you know, this guy had – so many opportunities to go to another team, to Super Bowl contending teams, to get even more money, and he turned it down because they didn't want to skip the process. He, he's just he's loyal to his blood, and it just knowing that we had a guy and having that moment of realization where you know maybe maybe we could get some more guys like this in the future that really care about the organization and not just you know winning. But seeing him hit that ten thousand, knowing how much of an achievement that was for him, really meant a lot as a Browns fan. Uh, and it's going to stick with me. It's one of my favorite Browns memories, not even Joe Thomas memories of all time. Is he your favorite player? You grew up in the 21st century. Is he like a guy that you associate with the Browns? Is he your your favorite player? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have, I've got a Joe Thomas jersey, you know, uh, framed and hung up in my room. I, I was rocking my Joe Thomas jersey all of high school. And, you know, you don't ever see anybody wearing lineman jerseys, but – there's just there was nobody else that you know was able to win over the heart of Cleveland fans over that you know decade span. So he was the epitome of you know a Cleveland. We have to ask you about OBJ. Obviously, he didn't play last year and went down with an injury. It hasn't been pretty. That trade just hasn't worked for Cleveland. Having OBJ on the football field makes Baker iffy and nervous. He just wants to get him the ball. <laughs> I think everybody knows that he's trying to get him the ball. When OBJ is not on the field, Baker's like relaxed. I mean, he's spreading the ball around. I mean, obviously he's coming back. I think that he wants to prove to the organization that he can still get it done. And, and Cleveland knows that they can't trade him. I mean, they're not going to get as much as they gave up. But what do you think the future holds? Do you want to have OBJ on the team? Or do you think he should be gone? I'm probably one of the bigger vouchers for OBJ. I 100% I can agree Baker is I mean it's night and day compared to when he's when OBJ's on the field and off the field and how Baker performs. Like the the instant uh OBJ went down with that ACL tear is when Baker went on that, you know, tear went 22 for 22 through one pick the back half of the season, but there hasn't been much to show that Baker could be better with OBJ. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious right now that he's been a better quarterback without. But just having OBJ on the field, it's like you said, he he gets he feels like he has to get him the ball. And with OBJ coming back off of an ACL tear, uh, knowing that he's probably going to be a little more fragile than he has been in the past, I think that mindset might you know kind of dwindle away a little bit. And you know, if if he's open, I'm going to get him the ball. I think the problem with OBJ was uh, a lot of the first half of the season in 2019 Baker was kind of running around for his life and you know if, if I have to throw the ball up to anybody I'm going to take my chances with Odell and I kind of think that's what he was thinking because he made a lot of you know ugly throws when it should have just been thrown away and tried to throw it up to Odell to make his you know signature you know poster catch but I do think this season could be different for OBJ and Jar I know Jarvis has been a big part of his 
healing process, and Jarvis has said that he looks better than you know he did last year. I do want OBJ on the team. I think he spreads out the defense tremendously. And, you know, the pass game might, might not be as efficient when he's on the field, but the run game is actually much better when he's on the field. I think we average about 30 more, thirty to 35 more rushing yards a game with OBJ on the field. So it opens up that aspect of the game. And just to have a guy with the name Odell on the field really, I think, helps to scare defense a little bit. The, my problem is I, I want to see guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones get more playing time because I think the sky is the absolute limit for that guy. His big playability was it was unreal. He got 20 catches compared to OBJ, and in OBJ in 2019, he had you know two or three big big plays that I can remember. But Donovan Peoples-Jones off of 20 catches last year had three or four big plays I can remember. So if OBJ doesn't prove himself this season, I would maybe like to see Peoples-Jones kind of start to fill in that role. I really do think this could be a comeback season for OBJ. You sound conflicted, though. I mean, you're you're hoping that OBJ will show his form, what we've seen from him with the Giants for those couple of years when he was lighting up the league. But it also sounds like you're not sure whether we're going to see the same OBJ again. I will say I'm pretty confident we won't ever see that OBJ again. You know, I, I could see a 1,000-yard OBJ and, you know, five touchdowns. I just – I see somebody more as uh, – that's kind of going to be a distraction, not somebody that's going to be your highlight reel. I don't even know if he's going to have true number one wide receiver numbers this year. I think what he's going to help with is simply making everybody else around him better. I don't think him as a player will, you know, ever reach that, that level again. But I think, I think having him on the field this year will benefit the Browns. When we look at this roster, just the Browns squad, this might be the most complete team in the entire league. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, Andrew Barry has done a great job. Stefanski is using those pieces. They signed Josh Johnson in the offseason, probably the best free agent move out of all of them. And then they brought in Jadavian Clowney. You're hoping that you're going to get something out of him and he can play opposite of, you know, Miles Garrett. Is this team Super Bowl bound? I mean, where do you stand on this? Is it Super Bowl or bust? You know, I'm I'm a Browns fan, so I've I've gotten my hopes up a lot, way too much. It seems to be that way. You know, they they went toe to toe with a team that was in the Super Bowl last year in the divisional round. I mean, we lost on the last drive of the game to the Chiefs, and that was with one of the worst defenses in football. So it's almost like the Browns have no excuse to not be at least playing in the AFC Championship this year. With the exception of quarterback position, I don't think there's a team that really comes close to the Browns. So I, I do think it's at least AFC Championship or bust. I don't know if I can see them, you know, winning a Super Bowl against a team like the Buccaneers. I just, the Buccaneers, I mean, you got a guy like Brady leading that team with all 22 uh, starters returning. So I don't know if I can see them winning a Super Bowl, but the chances of them being in the Super Bowl, I mean, it's it's a serious reality. And if it, if they don't even make it to... The AFC Championship, it's absolutely a bust. There's, there's, and the thing is, Baker Mayfield has zero excuses this year to not go on a Super Bowl run or to prove yourself to be a team that can contend for the Super Bowl. He has everything set out for him. He's got a top off, I mean, arguably the best line in football, the best, arguably the best running game in football, one of the better receiving cores in football, and you got a team that should be a top five in defense. So there's no excuses for Baker Mayfield to not take this team on a Super Bowl run. Well, Brandon, I hope 
the 2021 season is is going to be the Browns' special season. And for your dad's sake, for all those fans that I love watching in the stands when they're cheering for the team, doesn't matter how bad they are, but Browns fans show up. They always support the team. So I hope for all of Browns Nation that this is going to be a special year for you guys. Well, I really appreciate that, my friend. I, I'm hoping so, too. Last year showed a lot of promise, and, and I only think there's one way up from there. Just tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, any other social media sites, and uh, any other plugs you'd like to do. Yeah, absolutely. So if you wanted to take a look at some of my uh, Cleveland Browns articles, you could find me on the Dogtown Daily and just look up Brendan Bolin, and I'll be on there. And then my Twitter is just at Brendan. So you can follow me up there. I, I like talking to people on Twitter. If you ever have any questions about the Browns or football in general, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Brandon, thank you for the knowledge. We appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Love talking about the Browns. A lot of excitement in that city. You could feel it in the team that they have. I, I hope that they're going to do some great things in 2021. I'm not exaggerating. It's just from the heart. I want Browns fans to to be happy this year. Last year, they took a huge step up, Ed. We'll continue with NFL talk, and let's talk about a surprise team. I know we're three months away from the NFL season, but it's never too early to talk about surprise teams, most disappointing teams. So let's start with it. Surprise team for next season, Ed. Who you got? I'm actually going to say the... uh... New York Jets. Zach Wilson has already changed the culture in New York. A lot of players showed up for OTAs, you know, a lot more than was expected. I think Josh Adams and Michael Carter, I think they're going to emerge this year. Uh, Josh Adams is not a big name, but I think this is a, a kind of a sleeper name that you should keep an eye on. I think those two guys will emerge, and I think they're going to have a running game this year. So I, th- I think a lot of things are going to go well for the New York Jets this year. Well, they got to have those weapons step up on the outside. I mean, Corey Davis, the big free agent signing, needs to step up and become the number one wide receiver, something that he was never able to do. And Or Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, the rookie slot receiver. Zach Wilson can't do it all by himself. I realize that their offensive line is better, but I still think Salah, the head coach, I mean, he can't perform miracles they need more bodies on defense I think the Jets are a year away I mean with the rookie quarterback it's tough to ask Zach Wilson to be the hero if he had OBJ and Jarvis Landry maybe the Browns wide receivers then maybe I'll be on board on it and the other thing that really kills me is the division that they play in Ed I mean the Bills are really good the Patriots they're gonna bounce back you know they will the Miami Dolphins are a team that's on the cusp of the playoffs. It just a lot of it depends on Tua. But that defense is going to be really good. You know, if they played in another division, maybe I'd roll with you and say maybe they sneak into the playoffs. But it's tough in that division, Ed. The other team I was thinking about, I mean, this is not a really a surprise, surprise team. But, uh, you know, the Patriots, I mean, you put Mac Jones, you know, you get him back in the fold. Uh, you know, you got that Josh McDaniels offense. You know, I, I think the offensive talent is loaded around the QB. Uh, I think that's a playoff-worthy team. It is a surprise team because the Patriots didn't make the playoffs, so we have to put them in there. We're talking about a team that didn't make the playoffs in last year. 
and a team that could bounce back this year. So I'm on board with the Patriots. I think they could make some noise, see what happens with Mac Jones, but you know Bill Belichick wants to win. I do think the Jets are still a year away. All right, I'm going to go also with the team that plays in a tough division. I'm just going out on a limb. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I think the Arizona Cardinals were close last year. They lost that game to the Los Angeles Rams. They didn't get into the playoffs. But I'm buying what Cliff Kingsbury is selling. He's got Kyler Murray, an exciting quarterback. They have the weapons, a wide receiver. Their defense has gotten better with a couple of strong drafts. They've got some versatile players. They drafted Zayvon Collins. Isaiah Simmons played better in the second half of the year. Again, I realize that they have the Seahawks. They have the Rams. They have the 49ers. But for some reason, I just think that the Cardinals are going to be the team that wins the division. That connection with Hopkins and Murray in the second year, Kingsbury is in his third year. Might not be a perfect team defensively, but I know that offensively, they can do some things in that offense. And some other teams I considered were the Carolina Panthers. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. I like what Matt Rule is building out there, but a lot of it will depend on Sam Darnold and the Cowboys. I mean, that NFC East division is horrible. And I just think if you fix the defense just a little bit, you've got the best quarterback in the division, and you could do some really big things with Dak. And I think the Cowboys are are going to make the playoffs. They will win that division if they, they stay healthy. But the Arizona Cardinals will be the team that I, I'm going all in on. Uh, in terms of, and I think that's going to be the surprise team. All right, let's talk about disappointing team, Ed. Drum roll. Who will be that team for next season? I'm going to say the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wow, I didn't expect that. I could run through all the names out there, honestly, all the teams, and I never thought that I would hear it out of your mouth. Well, I mean, you got Ben, who's starting to get up there in age. I mean, he already had a minor injury in OTAs. And then you got, you know, their offensive line, which is very unproven. Uh, They made a big mistake, in my opinion, by cutting Steven Nelson. I I, I don't really believe in that cornerback core. I think that team's got some holes. I don't think they're going to be terrible, but I I, I just don't see them being a playoff team right now. Again, you caught me by surprise. I I didn't think that you were going to go in that direction. I thought you were going to choose another team and even if you're not a believer in the Steelers this year I just didn't think it was going to come out of your mouth I mean do you think the defense can carry the day I mean I think they're going to be a good defensive team I think they're going to try to run the ball you know me Alex is like the offensive line is so key to to me and you got a left tackle Chukwuma Okorafor who really wasn't that great as a right tackle I mean he's a better fit on the left as a left tackle but I mean you're asking him to protect you know an, an old quarterback's blind side you've got Kevin Dotson who is an excellent pass blocker but is he proven as a run blocker and I mean he's he's still a fourth round pick I think he might be one of their stronger pieces we don't know who their center is going to be I mean actually it was JC Hassenauer who's been getting the first team reps I mean BJ Finney is kind of an unknown you know with just that workout issue that he had and then, uh, you know, th- th- they could go with a rookie third-round pick. And, th- and then you got DeCastro, who's, you know, maybe maybe one, one more year with the Steelers. I mean, he could be gone after the year. Um, you know, but he's, he's, you know, he's definitely on the back nine. And then you got a right tackle, uh, Zach Banner, who's coming off an ACL injury. So it's like, how, how, how is this team to make it through, you know, a 17-game schedule with that offensive line? I, I, I just have my questions. I'm going to go with an NFC team. I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints. Last year, they went 12-4. and 
I realized that Drew Brees was not the same the past couple of years, but it was still Drew Brees. I mean, the team kind of rallied around him. And last year, the team didn't have the services of Michael Thomas for a long, long time, and they still got it done. The defense is good, but I'm just not buying what they have offensively. I just can't. I mean, they still have Kamara, but Michael Thomas is not enough, and the quarterback. I mean, the most important position, and you've got Jameis Winston, and you've got Taysom Hill. As starting quarterbacks, I'm just not buying what the Saints are selling. And I realized that the Saints were probably maybe looking at some rookie quarterbacks in this year's draft, but they weren't able to do that much maneuvering. You've got Winston, you've got Taysom Hill. It doesn't matter who starts at center. Maybe they, you know, we'll see different guys start during the season. I'm just not buying it. I think they're going to take a step back. I don't think, I think the defense will be good enough, but I'm looking at that division. You have the Bucs. I think the Panthers will be better. I think the Falcons offense is going to be really good. I don't think the Saints are going to make the playoffs. I think losing Drew Brees, just from a mental standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, is going to take its toll. And I think we're going to see that that Sean Payton is going to struggle without his quarterback that he's had for the past decade there in New Orleans. So that would be my team that I think will be disappointing, a team that will take a step back. All right, let's jump to college football landscape. Obviously, we talk college football on this show as well as the NFL and let's talk about the Heisman another award that's it's never too soon to talk about it Uh, last year we had Devontae Smith the Alabama wide receiver who won it first time since Desmond Howard won it uh, in the early 1990s for Michigan that was an anomaly as they say I mean when a wide receiver hasn't won in like 30 years I think we're going to go back to normal. I think a quarterback is going to win it this upcoming year. Let's talk about some of the contenders. I mean, who is the favorite and who are some guys maybe chasing him? I think Spencer Radler is definitely the favorite to win it this year. Um, You know, Oklahoma has a history with quarterbacks to win the Heisman. You know, we know Kyler Murray. We know Baker Mayfield. I think he's a great passer. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, can move, but, you know, great passer is really what he what he can do um i think he's a guy who can put up more yards than sam howell i I think he was a big reason why the sooners came back and won the big 12 last year and you know he's no longer going to be in that freshman category you know i think he wants to come out for the draft and i think he wants to have a good enough year that he can be in that first round category and you know get himself you know that nfl contract so he's got a lot to play for so i'm gonna go with spencer radler if Spencer Rattler plays the way he played last season, especially in the second half of the year, he's going to be the, the number one overall pick. Because you know in that offense, Lincoln Riley is going to feature him. He's going to put up huge numbers. You know, he's got the weapons at the wide receiver position, a lot of weapons at his disposal. And like you said, I mean, Lincoln Riley made Baker the number one overall pick, made Kyler Murray the number one overall pick. Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick when he went from Alabama to Oklahoma. So Spencer Rattler is the odds-on favorite Heisman. And if everything is all right, he's going to put up huge numbers. I think Sam Howell is kind of the the sleeper here because UNC has put up some really good numbers the past couple of years. But the only thing is they've they lost Javante Williams. They lost Michael Carter at running back. They lost Daz Newsome, Deami Brown. That's a lot of weapons. I mean, those guys had a lot of experience. And 
I know they have some other younger guys coming up, but I think it's going to take some time for Sam Howell to reach his stride. I'll give you a sleeper, like a, a guy that maybe not many people are talking about right now. I'm going to say De'Ara King. I realize he's coming back from a serious injury, but I just think Miami, they look so good with him under center. And they're going to play in some big games. And I think Miami has the weapons. And De'Ara King, you know, the dual threat ability, his ability to throw the football and pick up yards with his feet, he's going to be exciting. I just think he's going to put up huge numbers with the Hurricanes out there. So I would say that's that's a guy to keep an eye on. And let's throw out a running back as well. Brees Hall is probably the best running back in the game. Um, in college football from Iowa State. I think he's gonna. they're going to give him the ball. Um, they're going to feature him. And I think the, the running back is going to be in the conversation as well. I realize the quarterback will win it, but let's put Brees Hall in there, in the top four, top six. And let's put Kayvon Thibodeau in the conversation as well because Chase Young was out there in his last year. He was putting up some good numbers, and he was in the Heisman race. I think Thibodeau is going to be in there as well. Oregon has a good defense. They have a good defensive line. I think Thibodeau is going to be the prize next year. He's going to put up huge numbers, and I think another guy that's going to be invited to New York. So let's put a defensive player out there. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but let's put him in the conversation with Rattler, with Sam Howell, with Brees Hall, with D.R.A. King. But I think D.R.A. King will be kind of an interesting situation keeping an eye on because he's capable of putting up some huge numbers in that Hurricanes offense in his second year. But I agree with you. Spencer Rattler, just like everybody is predicting, is the front runner for the Heisman and rightfully so. It's like a match made in heaven between Lincoln Riley and and Spencer Rattler. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care, everyone.